Welcome back to Revise and Resubmit, a 10-ish minute podcast where I chat with academic writers about their approach to writing. I'm your host, Dr. Cameron Brown, Assistant Professor in the Couple, Marriage, and Family Therapy Program at Texas Tech University. Dr. Brown is a Professor and Department Chair of Couple and Family Therapy at Adler University. She will also be Journal of Feminist Family Therapy's next editor. She has been published in a variety of academic outlets about a number of topics, such as integrated care, COVID-19, experiences of professionals in higher education, and sexual health, just to name a few. And Dr. Brown and I were also just talking that uh, she was previously involved in flat track roller derby. And so, <laughs> so first off, uh, thank you very much for being on the show with us. We're really excited to have you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what was your derby name? So my derby name was Presenting Problem. (laughs) (laughs) And the implications of that, yes. And then, okay, and then I'm curious, what parallels are there between roller derby and the peer review process? I mean, are there parallels? I feel like there's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's a great question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, So immediately comes the thought is that, you know, you get smacked down, you get back up again. Um, You know, you definitely, um, you know, you come back at it, you resubmit. But I think it's also some of the parallels are about being assertive. And I almost want to say aggressive um, in the sense of, you know, when you have something to say, do the work and get it out there. All right. Okay. So beyond roller derby, so you have written about lots of different topics. Yep. And, um, and, and topics where you openly discuss having a personal stake in them. So this is endometriosis. This is women's salaries and rank and advancement within your field. Um, I think you even mentioned that you have a current study going on about tattoos yes. uh, and et cetera, et cetera. So I'm curious, how has you having like a personal stake and say a specific piece, how has that added to or enhanced your writing? Well, you know, I think it definitely adds and enhances in the sense that um, my commitment to the project and my, um, you know, desire to learn more about it is definitely strong and it's there. Um, There's definitely risks around it as well, because not only am I sharing personal information at a larger platform, but I also might learn things that um, I don't necessarily want to. You know, sometimes in some of the different arenas that we look at, um, ignorance can be bliss if you don't know that about about something. And so, um, you know, that's definitely part of the risk. But I, I find that when I'm choosing something that's personal to me or something that I'm passionate about, um, that helps with the drive because, um, you know, it's really tough to balance in writing and scholarship amongst, um, you know, professional and personal time, um, balancing that. And so when it's something that I'm, you know, intimately connected to or personally motivated about, that definitely helps. So what advice would you have for somebody that was doing a very similar approach of you, of writing about a topic area, whatever it may be, maybe it's a community that they're a part of, maybe it's a a concern that's affected them personally or a family member. As someone who has done that actively and has shown to do that and done it well, right? Thank you. What advice would you have for them 
if they're writing with their kind of their own personal stake in it. Yeah. You know, um, I, this past year I had published the first piece by myself without a co-author and it was a really um, insecure process uh, because I didn't have that natural feedback you get from your collaborators and your co-authors. And so I think that's something that, um, you know, I, I was really nervous. I had written about experiences of sexual harassment in psychology programs and social work programs and the lack of the research on um, sexual harassment in MFT programs. Wow. And I was really insecure, not only on the writing, because I was by myself and didn't have that editor and that feedback, but also then insecure, like, oh my gosh, I'm putting this out there. I'm challenging my own field. And so, um, you know, though I was, that was difficult and I was really proud of myself, I think um, what my advice would be that you find a support system um, or a mentor or a collaborator, um, you know, a co-author. And part of that is just because, you know, that connects back to that sort of ignorance is bliss. Sometimes when you're writing about something that's so personal to yourself, you don't see issues or problems or um, errors in fact. And so when you have that ability to sort of have that balance with someone else, um, that can be really good. So, you know, what I've tried to do in topics moving forward that um, I'm sort of taking a solo approach on, I try to seek out a person who's going to be my checks and balance, you know, that I can reach out to. And, and it's actually advice. I give to my students, my PhD students who are writing dissertations, you know, if you're writing your dissertation about a topic that's important to you, make sure that your dissertation chair knows enough to be able to hold you or challenge you or pause you at different places because that personal connection can be so tough in writing. It can be a place where the words flow and it can be a place then where you're looking at blank pages, you know, for weeks and months. So. Mm. Right. And, and I also like, so just to add to that, it seems like having that additional person to bounce an idea off of, or even since you're as a, uh, this may be something that you have a personal stake in, or that is natural to you, right? Or makes sense up here in the brain. Um, or when you read it, it's, of course, it comes across this way. Somebody who is maybe outside of that or hasn't personally experienced that may think like, well, you, you're talking in this way and I don't know if I'm fully connecting those dots. So I love the idea of having kind of that outside checkpoint or collaborator or like a, a check of what you're offering. And that's actually one of the ways that I connected with um, Dr. Joyce Baptist, who's the current editor of the Journal of Feminist Family Therapy. You know, I had submitted that individual piece to her and she was just so supportive and she ended up sort of serving as that person giving that feedback and, you know, challenging me and encouraging me at the same time that we, you know, sort of expanded on the relationship we already had. And that was that opportunity in terms of networking and, you know, professional growth and development for myself that when, you know, the time came for her to move on from the position, she reached out to me and said, are you interested? And so I think that that's, you know, there's so many benefits to that collaboration and reaching out and asking for help. Yeah, yeah. So you have also written about communities that have been historically marginalized, right? And this is uh, sexual minorities, transgender, survivors of sexual harassment or assault, capital punishment, um, and inmates of capital punishment, uh, and, and others. So why is this important to speak about these individuals that have been historically marginalized. Yeah. 
and, and that's such a good question that's sort of um, shifting for me a little bit. So, you know, I am a white woman with privilege. Um, you know, I hold a position of power as an administrator in my department. Um, you know, I'm privileged also in the sense of my ability to have been further educated as a PhD. And so I, I feel like there's a call or a draw. It's that, um, you know, that social justice part of me that was definitely a big part of my own training and then also is now part of the department that I manage, um, how important that is to give voice um, and to speak um, and to use my voice as a way to highlight or, um, you know, provide more information so that um, historically marginalized populations can have more um, attention and education and resources allocated to them. But one of the things that's really been shifting me, especially in the last few months in the context of, you know, George Floyd being matter, uh, burnt, murdered, sorry, and the Black Lives Matter movement um, sort of re-emerging in different strength, um, in my opinion, very strong now, um, is that what I want to do differently, instead of just giving voice using my privilege, but inviting in um, collaborators and co-authors who identify in those marginalized populations, that, you know, ju not just having a group of white authors or myself as a white woman writing about it, but instead, um, you know, bringing their voice using my privilege in a different way. And so that's something that's really shifted for me as I think about the projects moving forward. Um, that was really some self-learning, um, you know, that I've done recently around sort of my scholarly identity. Yeah. So, so you, so if you were to give advice to somebody that is looking to write about, um, highlight, uh, put a spotlight on a, a, a group or a presenting concern or whatever it may be that has been over the years or um, more recently pushed to the margins. So I right. hear advice of bring in people from that community as a part of this project, like right. give them voice, right? Have right. them collaborate, ha collaborate with them. What, what else, what else advice would you give? Um, we'll so, say to that young scholar that is looking to, to start on that path. Yeah. So I think, you know, definitely it's being informed. So looking at sort of the literature that's already out there and who's writing about it and who is writing about their own personal experiences, because of course that's a way that I connect to what I write, um, but who's also the experts on those topics and then reaching out to them. Uh, I've been on lots of calls where I'm sort of like starstruck, like who's on the group call or who's on there. But I also recognize that by taking those risks of making those connections and reaching out, I'm learning so much and that's so important. And so my advice would be to reach out. You know, I, I always encourage my PhD students, they have to have sort of a defense member on their dissertation. And I'm like, well, look at who's published most of the stuff you're quoting, reach out to them. You know, the answer is no, if you don't ask, so you might as well ask. And there you're making some networks and connections, um, you know, with experts in the field you're passionate about. And so again, I think it goes back to taking that risk and that you're not alone. Um, um, but I think the call is also more towards my fellow white colleagues. You know, are you doing what you can to bring those voices in with you? So, um, for example, I'm currently editing the new textbook that AMFT is going to publish on ethics. And so I have asked specifically my authors to make sure that they are utilizing um, references that are written by people of color, um, by our black colleagues that include um, history and the development of MFT from other people's experiences and not just that sort of white version of how our field has developed. And so it's, I think that's the place where it falls on our shoulders is to make sure that those voices and those experiences are included. Yeah. And, and, and included and that we get them right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, so to my understanding, you also come from a 
uh, I don't know how to best put this, like a, a family lineage, a family line of academic writers. Yeah. So um, what would you say to that young writer that is f- searching for their own kind of footing or voice in the scholarly community? Um, you know, there, boy, there's all kinds of stuff messed up in that question. <laughs> so, um, you know, definitely, you know, something that I probably didn't even connect with until, you know, in my 40s and, you know, being in the field for a while. But, you know, I think I, I think I got into thinking about writing, not necessarily for the right reasons from, from the start. It was sort of this maybe an expectation or being or living up to um, a reputation. You know, my, uh, my dad is a cardiologist and um, a widely published and has edited journals. And so it's something I've always um, admired, but also there was sort of that living up to that. And, and that was in my own mind, um, you know, and so I think, um, it was really understanding that I had to figure out um, what it was for me. Like, I, I've always loved to write. Um, you know, I was that young girl who wrote diaries and journals and stories, you know, and that kind of thing. And so writing has always been a mode of communication for me. And, and I think it was figuring out what do I have something to say about, um, you know, and, and that then connects back to that earlier thing we talked about is what's personal to me. You know, what do I love? What am I passionate about? What am I curious about? Um, you know, so I have this long list. I, and I think, you know, everyone's always asking me, well, do you have like a scholarly agenda? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it has like 95 branches going in different directions because I'm so <laughs> interested in different things, yeah. you know, or I, I grab onto that opportunity when I've connected with someone and they're like, do you want to write about this? And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, I'm so interested in that. And so, you know, I had to figure out who I was as a scholar, um, you know, and that took a long time. It also took a long time because I, um, you know, have spent a lot of time being an administrator of a program. And so, um, you know, I was a program director for five years. I'm about to enter my sixth year as a department chair. And, and that pulls on you in a different way. Um, that administration eats up the energy or the time. Um, and then I was also a mom with kids at home, you know, and so my kids are both college graduates and launched in a different way. So my personal time um, allows me to sort of engage in some of those scholarly passions in a way that I hadn't been able to fit into my life previously. Yeah. I find who you are, not maybe what your uh, advisor in your doctoral program, your supervisor in your master's program, you know, the, the, the research team lead or the PI that you have, not, not what they want you to be or their expectations is find who you are. I really like that. I really like it. Easier said than done. Yes. It's hard because you get pressures from a lot of people and and I'm glad you brought up, you know, advisors and faculty because they definitely put pressures and expectations and, and I'm sure I do that to my students. And so that's ways, you know, I try to be really cautious about, um, but yeah, you you know, figuring out who you are and, and, and what you want to say. Yeah. Okay. So we have just a couple of minutes left. So um, somebody is looking to get published in feminist family therapy. So um, what is uh, something you wish they would, they knew prior to submitting to the journal for a review beyond make sure the formatting is correct. Right. (laughs) So I I thought sort of like the snarky answers, um, you know, and then of course the advising answers. So, you know, one of the reputations I have as a professor is like, there's two musts with Dr. Brown, you know, make sure your APA is correct um, and don't be late for class, which is, you know, meet your deadlines. Um, So those are sort of like the snarky answers. Yes. But um, you know, one of the things that I was really excited about coming into the journal of feminist family therapy is that it's a smaller journal. 
journal. You know, we publish quarterly. Um, we have a smaller number of articles. So I really will, am looking forward to having the ability to develop relationships with the authors. So the first thing I would say is, you know, if you're unsure about the fit of your topic, email me, send me a query, ask a question, you know, part of, um, you know, part of what I want to do is mentor. I especially want to mentor students. You know, I, I want students to publish more. Um, you know, I think different programs have different agendas around that. Um, my program is much more clinically focused, but I, you know, I have students who want to go into academia and they, and to be competitive, they need to be publishing. And so I would say the first thing is to ask a question to reach out. Um, you know, if you're going to, you know, make a query and making sure that, you know, whatever, topic you are to read the aims and scope uh, and the audience of who the journal is um, because I, I often think about okay so I'm writing this thing who do I want to read it and I have to find that connection there. Um, you know, I think we tend to sort of go towards what's the best journal in our field. And sometimes that's the right way to go, you know, at least for the first shot. That's that get up again. If you get, um, you know, a rejection, then you submit it somewhere else. So like I recently had a rejection and I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best feedback I could have ever gotten. And I know that the article is going to be better um, when I resubmit it, but it was a rejection. So that kind of sucked, um, but it's a process, you know, and so, it, you know, it doesn't happen right away. You don't get these magically, um, you know, accept with no edits. <laughs> that just doesn't happen. So again, I think we have to remember that that's that back and forth that you get up again and you, and you, you try again. So, but definitely reaching out queries. Um, you know, right now um, I have queries with two other editors that I have journal submissions going into because I want to make sure that I get it right before I send it in and I meet what their expectations are. Yeah. And I, I think that's really telling of, of who you are in regards to wanting to develop that relationship with the authors. And yeah. you want it to kind of be like a, a two-way street. of. Yeah. And I do have that advantage again, because the journal is small. You know, I look at other journals in our field and they're, you know, they put as many articles in one issue as we do an entire volume. And so that you don't, that's not fault of the editor. It's just, you know, this is an opportunity that I have that I'm going to embrace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, presenting problem. Dr. Brown, <laughs> um, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us on here today. I, I thought you offered some really great wise words and some, some empowerment to our, to our writers here. So thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It was an honor and a pleasure. Revise and Resubmit is proudly supported by Texas Tech University's Department of Community, Family, and Addiction Sciences, as well as my program, Couple Marriage and Family Therapy. Want to see more about what we do, our research, and our fantastic undergraduate and graduate programs? Find us on the web by simply searching for Texas Tech CFAS. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Revise Podcast, or find us on the web at bit.ly slash Revise Podcast. Share your writing tips, ideas, or someone you want to hear on the show. Special thanks to our fantastic doctoral interns, Benjamin Finlayson and Doug McPhee, for assisting in the production of this podcast. Join us on the next submission of Revise and Resubmit. <laughs>